Welcome to episode six of Control the Coronables, guys. It's Dan Keenan here. This is a one that's very close to my heart, as I was fortunate enough to be the coach with Josh Ward Hibbert and Liam Brody back in 2012 when they won the Australian Open boys doubles. That was an amazing experience. The boys have had fantastic young careers, both aged aged 26 years old. Liam making four Junior Grand Slam finals and going on to be top 160 in the world ATP, playing Andy Murray, Rowanich on, on court number one at Wimbledon, and Josh Ward-Hibbert as well as being a professional tennis player is now a professional basketball player. So a fascinating guests and I hope you enjoyed the show. Josh Ward, Hibbert, Liam Brody, welcome to the show, boys. Thanks, for yes. us. Thanks, Kina. How, how are you both doing? Before before we start, I want to just give I want to give the listeners and also a chance. I don't get a chance to big you boys up too much. So Liam Brody, career high ATP singles ranking of one hundred and fifty four, currently two hundred and eleven in the world. Yeah, played, played numerous Grand Slams, uh, Grand Slam. Junior champion and in doubles and finalist in singles. Uh, a fantastic career so far. Brilliant to have you on the show, Broads. And, and Josh Ward Hibbert, career high of 588 in singles before moving to the dark side of basketball a few years ago. Uh, was world junior number eight, won, won the Australian Open boys doubles with Liam and also won five junior grade A doubles titles in a row. Some people might know this or not, but he also, I don't know if he holds it still, but the fastest surfer a junior at Wimbledon. And even more importantly than that, he was Soto Tennis's first ever player. So, boys, there you go. Big, a big welcome. How, how's things during this crazy time? Yeah, man. Um, I mean, they're going well for me, obviously, training hard. Um, was online 2pm sharp yesterday and Josh never showed up um, so I mean I can safely say things are going really well for me keeping them ticking over but from Josh's perspective things are going pretty well like, uh, like I do I kind of like I enjoy watching like a lot of like movies and stuff so to be honest it's just an opportunity to catch up on like a load of series but uh, except from that like just going on like the occasional runs my sleeping pattern is a bit crazy now uh, sleeping a bit later, waking up a bit later. So uh, we noticed that, was, that. Yeah, that was a reason for me missing yesterday. But uh, yeah. and, and in terms of in terms of you, Josh, with the with the basketball, which we'll get to in a, in a little bit, of your of the team, got you on any any routines? Or are you kind of up to yourself how you, how you use this time? Yeah, the um, it's a bit of a weird situation just with uh, a lot of the. Uh, foreign players, the Americans and European and stuff like that. A lot of them flew back home. Obviously, they wanted to be home during this time as a lot of the countries were like closing getting down the borders. Yeah, um, yeah we, our fitness coaches speaking to us, or well, speaking to uh, me like most days, you know, telling me what, uh, what to do and, you know, what uh, muscle groups I'm trying to work and what exercise I can do to work. And so I think for this situation, I think we get... Um, I'm personally getting uh, the best, the best outcome possible. And you seem, it sounds like you're using your eye muscles very well during this, during this period. Is that the muscle group that he's talking about? Very well. Um, no, but, you know, indoors so much, you know, I'm, I'm not trying to leave, you know, leave the house at all. So I'm just, I'm just trying to entertain myself the best way possible. I think Netflix and Disney Plus is really, really getting and what about you, Broads? Give us a little insight into your training. A fine yeah. specimen like yourself. What are you training? Yeah, exactly. Um, to be honest, I probably I kind of felt um, at the start of the tra- at the start of this whole quarantine thing that I could have been in a bit bit better shape. Um, so in a sense, it's kind of come at a good time because um, I'm just kind of treating this like a training block now. I'm doing six real tough sessions a week. I just did my one uh, k intervals today. Um, I ran 16Ks a couple of days ago. Um, so just putting in the miles and, and trying to turn this negative into a positive and, and come out of it better than I've ever been. Good lad. In, in any, any other areas have you came you're working on or just uh, apart from the physical side? 
I mean, obviously, you know, there's a few things that I'd like to do technically, but I'd like to think that the the physical sessions that I'm doing also help with the mental side. Um, you know, the whole being comfortable in uncomfortable situations and stuff and overcoming those those yep. challenges. Um, so, yeah, I'm just keeping it real simple, to be honest. Eating clean, working hard and, and just getting better. And also, at, at this stage, I was very entertained on Sunday night. I've seen you've taken the Instagram live, huh? Yeah, man. Um, you know, we, I've called it isolation interviews. Um, it's every Sunday at 9pm. I uh, got Lloyd Glasspool on there last week. We had a very intimate encounter. The only thing was that there was about 700 people watching at the same time. Um, but it was good fun, you know. We, we talked a lot of a lot of smack. Um, and now I've got Josh on this Sunday as well. I'm hoping that he'll be awake on time because 9pm he's usually awake after that. Um, no, I'm definitely awake at 9pm. But, but it, it sh- should be another good, another good one. And, and how are you feeling, Josh, about coming uh, under under scrutiny from Liam Brody live on Instagram? Uh, I'm relaxed, really. I think, like, you know, the que- if it's anything like it was with with Lloyd, the questions aren't too much. So, uh, you know, just like this, I think we're just going to just have a little chat, vibe with each other, and uh, just have a little bit of entertainment, I think. I think that's, a, I think that's the main thing about it. Yeah. I mean, the the reason it's at 9pm is so that, you know, the questions can be a little bit more explicit um, and it can be a little bit more of a natural conversation. It should mm. be interesting as well because I'm pretty sure there will be questions that he will refuse to answer and there will be forfeits for the questions oh, really? that he will answer. So. I mean, I'm pretty, myself, I'm pretty comfortable with most things. So I feel like there's not much things I wouldn't want to answer like. Well, I don't know the question, so we we got to find out. Well, that's, it, that, that's good, though, because, because I want people to get to know the real you. So if, if you answer the questions, great. I like it. And I think, I, but honest, in all honesty, though, Broads, I think, I think there's a real market for it. I think, and, and now's the time to do it. You know, everyone, you know, I think we mentioned this yesterday when Josh didn't turn up when we were talking. Is it... But, <laughs> everyone's everyone globally is in the same headspace currently so yeah everyone, everyone almost is a little bit more relaxed they don't feel like they're competing against each other so much so it's a little bit of a of an open forum whereas normally people are quite closed books because they're they're living their own stressful life day to day it's quite busy so i i love the idea any other guests we can expect over the next few weeks um yeah i mean I, i'm working on it obviously you know i I got Lloyd in last week. You know, he's, he's one of my best friends, Josh, as well. He's in this week. Next week after that, I think I'm going to take it international. I think I'm going to get uh, Matt Reed, doubles partner to Nick Kyrgios, top 100. Um, I'm going to get him on the show. I've got some great questions for Matt lined up. I think Alex Dimonar watched my show with Lloyd last week and he really nice. enjoyed it. So I'm going to try and get him on there as well. Um, I've messaged Tommy Paul because I think he'd have a few good stories. Yeah. Um, so yeah, we'll have to see. I mean, I'm just doing it because it's a bit of fun, and like you say, um, I think this is probably a pretty good time for people to be able to see a few light-hearted shows and stuff. Absolutely. So before I move into obviously what we've been doing with this podcast is I'm looking at looking at experiences. You know, everyone's obviously got a little bit more time. It's nice to like a bit like what you're doing, trying to put a smile on people's faces. You know, I've, I've thought about some of the nice experiences that have happened over the last few years. 2012 Junior Australian Open was, a, was an amazing event for you boys. Um, before we move into that, this, this reflection time, and this is for you probably first, Liam, the bigger picture of tennis, anything that you think now is the time that some changes could be made to the game of tennis or the, or the tours specifically? Um. I mean, do you know what? I've never heard heard the idea before, but um, just this year or maybe since the whole coronavirus thing, people have been saying that maybe players of a certain ranking should kind of get a salary at the start of the year, um, which actually thinking about it is probably a pretty, you know, maybe the prize money reduced a little bit will give players, you know, a starting salary to play with, Yeah. Um, which actually makes complete sense to me. You know, when I saw it, I was like, oh, right, yeah, that, you know, why don't we do that? I, th- I think the ATP have brought in a travel grant for guys ranked 150 to 400. 
Um, and I think you get four thousand dollars a year for that. But as you know, that's kind of a bit of a drop in the ocean. Um, yeah. You know, the, the problem with tennis is that, rightly or wrongly, it's so top heavy. You know, I mean, U.S. Open raised the the champions' prize money by one point eight million, which was you know almost more than the rest of the field. I think last year. Um, so I, I'm, I mean, I think they they could do it, but you know, it's it's obviously not easy. Yeah, no, very good. And Josh, in, in terms of in terms of that, the expense that goes with the sport, you know, Liam's touched on that. There was that one of the reasons you stopped playing. Do you think? Uh, it's it's possible. I, I would say like it, it, it might not have played a front runner. Um, you know, front in my mind. Uh, however, you know that stuff. Uh, that stuff does. You know, it, it, you you do think about that stuff. Uh, you know, when you're planning things and uh, over a long period of time. So it it wasn't you know my uh, my sole um, decision making, but did it play a part? And yeah, it's, it, it definitely. I would argue that you kind of stopped before you ever got going on the tour. Um, you just won your first pro event, hadn't you? At the end of that yeah. year. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but, um, yeah, for me, there was a, there was a lot of, uh, there, was a, there was a couple of factors. And, yeah, I think I think I just, I, just, I made the decision. Uh, like, who knows what, you know, what could have happened uh, with me and Tennis if I kept going. But, yeah, you know, I made, I made the decision and you know, I just got to stick, stick, but like, now I just got to stick. Not going to be a comeback then? I mean, um, I get, I keep, I keep getting like a couple, couple, hundreds of messages yearly about, you know, coming back and playing doubles <laughs> with people. Um, so, you know, I might I might come take them up. But like I said to everybody, I said, I'm only coming back and I'm only playing the four slams. Like, that's that's all I'm doing. So, just we're just waiting for the right call-up, to be honest. And Broads, what are the, what are the realistic costs to, to on the journey of trying to be a top 100 ATP professional? I mean, you know, obviously without coaching costs, because of course, you know, different coaches, different costs, I suppose, different uh, prizes. Yeah. Um, but I'd say for me, for the year, it's probably probably thirty grand. I'd say, um, yeah. you know, and and it and this coronavirus thing's been a real hit for me because I I'm kind of dependent on the slams for my funding. Yeah. Um, you know, to lose first round qualies of French, I would have had about ten grand in the bank. Yeah. Um, and then. Depending on how I'd have played, I might have had a main draw wild card. You know, that's my funding for the year that I've lost. You know, obviously, it's not just that I'm not playing tournaments. It's two of my biggest four tournaments of the year that I've lost. Um, so, you know, I, I saw that the LTA are bringing out this support package. So, hope, hopefully, that will enable us to sort of manage it. Yeah, no, no absolutely. And what, and, but is it realistic to also go from... 300 in the world, 400 in the world, 500 in the world, whatever it is, up to top 100 without without a coach? Um, no, I, I, I'd say not. I mean, you know, pretty much every player in the world, apart from maybe Nick Kyrgios, um, yeah. has, has a coach inside, say, 300, 250. I mean, I yeah. don't know every player, but there aren't many players that I've not seen their coach or seen them with their coach. Um, yeah. I'd say Nick is a bit of a phenom with his with his skill set and his talent. Um, yeah. But I might also argue that if he had the right coach in place, perhaps he could be pushing on to challenge to be winning at slams and stuff. Absolutely. And, and Josh, to bring you in here, in terms of, in terms of the differences now, if you can, you just tell, tell people a little bit about what, what your journey has been since you stopped playing tennis and now what you're doing with your basketball. Um, so, uh, so went to university, so I started university um, the September. In the September, I finished. Uh, so, so I've just started my masters now. This is my fourth year, um, and yeah. So as soon as I finished, I started. I went to Derby Trailblazers, which is my home club. Home club, like I grew up playing there, probably from fourteen or so. Um, played there for probably like three, three, four months. I had some good games there, and then. Uh, Moved to moved to Leicester. I was playing for uh, Leicester Riders since then. Had had some good seasons. We've uh, I think I've won 
won seven trophies and then won the the books universities for the last three years. Um, yeah, it's 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 very obviously different, but uh, as some people may or may not know, like I did I did play basketball when I was growing up, so it wasn't you know just playing a brand new sport from um, from as soon as I started. So I did I kind of had. I knew bits about basketball, and I was was quite good as a youngster as well. Um, can, can, I, can, yeah. I just, can I just put in there, Josh? Is it is it true that you lost to James British tennis coach James Trotman in a free throw contest when you were growing up? I think you were maybe eighteen years old at the time. Um, I didn't play basketball when I was eighteen, so I can't uh, can't fully you remember. You, you don't remember that. Yeah, I, don't, I, 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 never, I wasn't playing basketball at that time. I was a professional tennis player, so I can't. That's funny because I saw a 16 and under MVP Great Britain trophy on your on your um, yeah. You see, th that's when I was 16, but like when I was 18, like I packed it up, tied the lace, and put <laughs> okay. it in the closet. So like, but so if, you, if, did if anything, you did lose, you did lose to James in the free throw contest. Like I said, I, I can't. I wasn't. I didn't play basketball, so I don't see why I would be playing with James Trotman. However, if it did happen, <laughs> it was probably crazy windy or like outdoors in like some ridiculous <laughs> conditions. So probably free for all. So that's a yes. And um, so okay, moving moving into in, you, you mentioned the differences differences between basketball and tennis. What what are the main differences for you? Um, it's weird because you know it's it's so different, but at the same time, it's kind of not like obviously like the the massive difference of the, just the game itself. You know what I mean? Like you play with your hands. It's far, it's a team sport, all of, all of that kind of stuff. But um, I think the kind of things uh, I think probably just playing any sport to you know a high level kind of instills in you just like just you know the uh, I guess the cliches, you know, the hard work and commitment focus all that stuff it kind of it's it kind of just like rolls over you know like instead of maybe focusing focusing on your serve and taking time with your serve you focus on your jump shot and just taking time with your jump shot so it's not so it's different in that respect uh, but obviously but it, it is the same when you're actually you know working and you know just trying to improve uh, but obviously being in a team and I guess having like a a base, even though obviously we travel with, but we are like the Leicester riders. So you know, we play a lot of our home, all of our home games are in Leicester. Um, I stay in Leicester. Uh, I think that that with the with the team part of it is probably the biggest thing. Obviously, when you're playing tennis, you're when you're traveling a lot. Um, I guess yeah. the, the the times where you're at home mostly, or at home, or the time you stay in one place mostly is probably for your your training blocks. Um, so I think I think that's probably the um, for for me anyway, I think that's probably an easier side to it. You know, like you play your home games or you play your away games, and within three hours, you, you know, you're back, you're back in your home, and yeah, you're back or the next day training for whatever happens. You have a you know you have a good win or a bad loss, whatever. Like the next training session in, in the next day or in two days, you know, you're kind of with this group of twelve players and coaching staff so with this group of 15 14 15 people that are kind of you know all striving towards the same goal so it's kind of um you're kind of all there as all there as one pushing towards something so i think that's obviously a massive difference to you know being on the tennis court sometimes and you know maybe in the third week traveling maybe you don't have a coach that we or something you know what i mean by yourself on this course so i think that's uh i think that's one of the differences and I guess you've got a guaranteed wage as well, you know, if that's a bit like what Liam's touching on there with tennis. A lot of tennis players out there, and Liam, jump in when you want on this, a lot of tennis players out there are playing almost week to week to to survive, to be able to make their bills, yeah. to be able to yeah, afford exactly. a coach. Whereas I guess on basketball, for the, for the period of your contract, you know that you've got that guarantee coming in. Yeah, I mean, there's obviously it's all... Contract based, like some people have different contracts, and they'll have probably like um, uh, the, certain games where you know I guess they'll have to like prove themselves it's early on the contract. But yeah, you're all right. Like especially me knowing knowing that yeah, it's, you do you do you know you know next month or if all according to plan, you know you you should you should get your salary. Whereas obviously you know tennis is very much. Um, results based and performance based which 
def- definitely can can add uh, added pressure. So now, Josh, now that you're not in tennis, mm. you've known Liam Brody very well. You've known him since he was a, a young boy. You're the, you're the same. Unfortunately, age. Yeah. yeah. Now, if you were to give him some advice from the outside, you know, he's obviously having a very good career. He's, he's, mm. he's currently about 210, 211 in the world. What would your advice be to Liam? Mm. Um, my advice be serious, would be... Be serious here. Be serious here, eh? I want to, I want to hear what you have to say. Because I know you joke around when stuff gets serious. I never joke around. No, nah, no, nah, I was going to be... I, I'm, I'm serious here, but uh, to be honest... Can, can, we just, can, we just, can we just say, Kino, Josh says he never jokes around. We're on a Zoom call right now, and his background is the Golden Gate Bridge. What can I say? Worldwide phenom. Come on. I'll just say, you know, just just keep pushing. You know, I, 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 I think you're talented. You're definitely talented in what you do. You know, you've got an amazing opportunity, and there's, there's always going to be, you know, some some hard spells and some tough times, but. Um, my thing, I'd just say, just just keep pushing because you know all them hard times are gonna make the come up and the rise so much better. Broads, what would you give your own eighteen self, eighteen year old self? What advice would you give your own eighteen year old self? And then link that obviously into, I mean, any any youngsters listening to this, what would your advice yeah. be? Um, I think I think you obviously know my path pretty well, Kino. I think we've been pretty close over the years, um, and I'd I, I'd probably say my I, not that I regret the decisions I've made in my life because up until now, you know, I'm, I'm pretty grateful for the ride that I've been on. I've had some uh, some tough times, but I've also had some great times as well. Um, but I, I, w- I, I would say I, I personally believe it's not been my tennis that has stopped me from reaching the highest I can go. I would say it's been my discipline and application off the court. I yep. think I think when I put my mind to something, I, I, I can achieve almost anything I want. But the problem for me is, is when I get knocked back and I lose that confidence, quite often that's, that's when I hit the, the troughs, you know? Yeah. Um, so I'd, I'd probably, you know, say to myself, number one, put the work in because you will get the reward. And secondly, even when you don't think you're going to get the reward, that's the most important time for yeah. you to work even harder. Um, and, and just to trust the process, to know, because at the end of the day, it's a fact. You put that work in and you stay consistent, because tennis is a 52-week sport. You know, it's, it's not like boxing where you have two fights a year. You know, if you keep that application day in, day out, it shows. And I think that's the biggest difference between those top players to everyone else. Very good. Very, very wise. Very, very wise advice. You know, and I, and I think that's something that... I've certainly seen you do over the last couple of years as well. And I think the one thing that I would also ask you on that is, I know a year and a half ago, you you went through a bit of a losing streak, you know, and you definitely had a difficult period. And I've always had great respect for you, but my respect keeps on rising for you and what you've then achieved since then. How, how, how did you get through that period? Yeah. Um, I'm not sure if you know how many matches I lost. I, I can't, Maybe it was twelve or thirteen. I don't know exactly, but but I I know that obviously you I, didn't have the best period in terms of. Yeah, I mean, I'm gonna be honest with you, mate. It might have been twelve or fourteen matches, but it felt like yeah. like twenty five matches. Um, the, the the problem, Josh is laughing. The the problem with that, the reason why that year was so bad was because I had I actually had some incredible highs that year. Because yeah. I played Davis Cup for the first time, you know, um, away against Spain. Um, yeah. Made semis at the start of that year. I think I played Andy or, or Benich at Wimbledon on court one or centre that year. You know, yeah. I, achieved, I achieved some incredible things in the sport. Um, but in the run-up to Wimbledon, I went on like a seven-match losing streak. And then, and then from Wimbledon onwards, I went on like a 12-match losing streak. And to be honest, the only thought that kept me going was I can either stand on my feet and fight this or I can 
get down on my knees and it's going to be a hundred times worse. You know, I, I can either, I, I can either hold my head up high and keep pushing against the storm or just cave and let, and give in. But you know, then it's going to get worse. So that, that was a 12 match losing streak. If I, if I'd have just, you know, dropped head and said, this is, this is it, which there were times when I did say that during it, if I'd have dropped my head like that consistently, then that could have been a 25 match losing streak. And, and bear in mind, that was, for me, from what I remember, the 12-match losing streak wasn't even the toughest part of the year. The toughest part of that year was at the end of the year, I went away to India. And no, I went to China. So I played three tournaments in China, won one match in three weeks. And then I went to India for two tournaments qualifying. Lost first round qualifying the first week to a guy I shouldn't have lost of, lost against. sorry. Um, and I remember crying. And I was out there with Dave. And uh, and Dave was like, I don't know if we could, you know, maybe we should call this year now. You know, maybe, maybe we should just cancel that second week in India. Um, <laughs> and, I, you know, and I was like, no, because that's giving in. We, we can't give in. You never know when the week's... Went to the next week and had an equally rubbish week. And just, just bombed out in qualifying. And it just kind of summed up my year. Um, and I went home and I touched base with a few people that, you know, Rick, You've met Rick before, you know. I touched base with a few people that were very important in my life, and I'd fallen out of touch with. Um, and I came to the conclusion that I had a great physical coach, I had a great tennis coach, but I'd been completely neglecting my mental side. Yeah. Um, and then I actually got my life coach involved, you know, maybe a couple of weeks after that, um, which which is one of the things that turned it around massively for me. Very good, unbelievable insight, Broads, and I think it's. It's my um, my coaching philosophy, or almost kind of the structure that I've that I've brought to it for different conferences I've done, is I call it "Watch Your Code," and that's you know in terms of developing a tennis player, and the and the C stands for connection. You know, first and foremost, you need to make a connection with the person, the story, or where the purpose, you know, all of those things with the player. And then the second one is order, and and having order in your game, order in your life, order in your head. If you've got those things, then you can start thinking about developing yeah. your game. And and I think I think sometimes when we're when we're struggling, we we go to look for an area to develop. Whereas sometimes yeah. it is about coming back and reconnecting and, yeah. and finding some order into your into your broads. That that when I met with my life coach, that was one of the biggest decisions that I made was that he actually said to me, he said, and it's such a simple metaphor. If you're going to build a house, you don't build it on rubbish foundations. Yeah. To build a to build a high house, a tall house, you need stable foundations. And there was just complete instability in my life. And from that moment on, I started trying to clear out the negative influences in my life and also the unstable, maybe characteristics of myself. You know, quite often I'd go out if I had a rubbish week. I'd I'd fall off the bandwagon. I wouldn't train very hard. And, and that's been a process ever since of trying to just become that consummate professional. Fantastic. Boys, I want to, I'd, I'd love to, I could talk to you boys all day on this stuff and, and it's fantastic, but I do want to move back. You're 17 years old. I believe you both turned 18 on that trip in Australia. You're both 18, turned 18 in the January. Um, you went, went to Australian Open, obviously, uh, a, a junior Grand Slam. I was fortunate enough to be there with you boys, and you ended up winning the event. You know, and 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 actually, what I think is quite interesting about that, it's it's one of my favourite, if not my favourite, memory as a as a coach. So thank you both for for that. But you were both at different periods of your of your tennis life. Josh, you made quarterfinals of the singles that week as well, and I think you were in a you were in a really good headspace throughout that week. Liam, it was quite a difficult week for you in lots of ways. Um, <laughs> however, however, you still managed to be Grand Slam champions. So let's start in the first round. Do you remember who you played in the first round? Yeah. Or Ram Harrell. It was, yeah. yeah it was. Uh, set, set a breakdown. Setting a breakdown, first round. Just a set and a break. It was a set in 4 1, wasn't it? No, I think yeah. it was a six, six, four. No, I think you were 6 4 2 love down, I think you were. Okay. And and you came back and won the second set six two, and then yeah. and then won the third set in a tiebreak ten seven. 
Yeah. One thing, one thing, one thing I remember about that tournament. I mean, the first round we were awful. But, well. but I also, but I, I would also say we never, we we always believed when we were on that court that we could win. Yeah. And, and so often in tournaments, you have to get through that first or second that sticky match, and all of a sudden you start playing well. And we we had that belief at that time, like you said, Kino. Me and Josh went on a really good run of of winning a lot of very strong I think in Orange Bowl the year before we beat Dominic team in doubles. Yeah. Um was that in the semis or something or the final? Um, yeah. and that was on the that was on the clay as well. I mean we went through a real good run and we just yeah. never we, we never lacked that belief on the doubles court. Um and you know it paid off the fact that we just hung in there. Yeah, I mean you were the best you were the best doubles team in the world juniors that year and just yeah. to jump ahead in the year you you'd won Orange Bowl the year before you'd won Australian Open um you'd won Milan um yeah you know, I think Josh you'd won grade A maybe with Bambo in Brazil as well and and then you were in the quarterfinals of the French Open and you were setting a break up and probably got ahead of yourselves a little bit in that match but at that time it was like poor you guys could win the Grand Slam here yeah, um, we, we, we don't we don't need to talk about what happened at the French Open <laughs> we'll, we'll bring Josh, it back Josh, Josh cost me a French Open title, Kino. It's fine. We won't talk about that. We'll bring you back to the Aussie Open, Josh. Second <laughs> round, you remember who you played? Nah, I'd actually do second round. So you played Kovalainis from, from Greece and Ismailev. And, and I remember that. I, I remember sitting on the court and at this time, Broads, and you were, you were having a few, a few arguments with, with Papa Bear during yeah. the week. And the one thing he wasn't happy about was you being on your phone too much. Yeah. And I remember sitting in the stands and it was one of my first experiences as a coach at a, at a junior Grand Slam. And, you know, I was loving it. You know, I was loving it all and, you know, taking it all in. And I was so pumped for, for you boys. To, and you walked on texting onto the court. And I was like, what's he doing? This is a junior Grand Slam. Um, and 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 you won six two six two, yeah. And you boys were a joke in that match. You played an yeah. unbelievable match. Um, quarterfinals. Was that against Stanek? That was against Cagnina and Montero. Okay. Decent. Decent. They they Wait, were the, the winds get better than that, my friend. The winds yeah. get better than that. They were decent. Cagnino's, they were, no one else was decent with that. So they were number two seeds. So at that point, I have to share with the listeners a, a little story. And, and Broads, please jump in at any point on this. Um, so now that match is finished. And it's, I think we've got a, you've got a rest day. Or Josh has maybe got the quarterfinals of the singles the next day. And, and it's before the semifinals, I believe. And... Roger Federer has sent a message via Paul Anacorn. Can Liam can Liam warm warm Roger up for the semi-finals against Rafa on Rod Laver? So absolutely you can. You know, this is like unbelievable. The experiences are getting better and better. And to, to touch to touch on the story a little bit here that, 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 with the fallout from the dad. Liam Brody is in the changing rooms at the Australian Open 10 minutes before he's hit with Roger Federer and he turns to me and he said is my dad going to be there? And I said well yeah of course your dad's going to be there you're hitting with Roger Federer on Rod Laver he said okay I'm not hitting <laughs> do, you, do, you want to give a, do you want to jump in at this point Liam or are you happy me continuing? Yeah I mean, I mean you know I, I, I've always been stubborn obviously I think as a kid I was Boy. even more stubborn um, Crazy stubborn. Yeah, I mean, you know, to to be honest, kid, I'm just glad you were there to mediate. Um, you know, and obviously, in the end, got to hit with Rog. I think, I think that's the only time I ever hit with Rog as well, actually. Right. Yeah. I mean, it was so. So to carry the story on, I said, Liam, don't be silly. You're warming Roger Federer up for the semi-finals at the Australian Open on Rod Laver Arena to play Rafael Nadal. Um, no, I'm not. I'm not. I'm not. <laughs> no, 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 Liam, you are. <laughs> no, no, I'm not. So, so I had to pick up the phone, pick up the phone, and bless your dad. He was very good about it. And I said to your dad, "Look, 
are you planning on being at Rod Laver? And he said, yeah. I said, well, can you just do me a favor? Don't ask any questions. I'll speak to you after. But can you just make yourself, make yourself space for a, for, for a 45-minute window? Um, so off we went. What do, you, what do you remember of that hit? I remember he, that was the loosest practice. Like, he was so loose. and I mean, he, he almost was close to tanking that practice. <laughs> like, he was hitting ridiculous trick shots, hitting the ball so hard. Hitting yeah. like two balls and teeing the ball line, like it was incredible. Actually, it was a good experience. He was a really nice guy. Yeah, he was. But what and what was he asking you to do though? Do you remember what he was asking you to do? Well, I think he was asking me to get my forehand high into his backhand. Yeah, he was. Which which I actually thought when I watched, I think it was a 2018 Aussie Open when uh, Federer beat Nadal, and he was stepping in and nailing his backhand. So. Well, I, I went back to that hit and I was thinking, God, 2012, he was working on that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. You know, this is, this is a guy who's obviously going to go down as the greatest ever male tennis player on the planet. And, yeah. and he's been working on a certain skill for six, seven, eight years yeah, yeah. Before, it's, before it's actually come well, to fruition. I mean, if, we, if we're being realistic, he probably started working on that shot the, the first match he ever played Rafa. I'm sure. I'm sure. That was incredible. He also, during that time, he was, he was asked, such a nice guy. He was asking about the academy. He was asking about the juniors. And I remember asking him, any, do you know any of the juniors? And he said to me, he said, I know a guy called Dominic Thiem. He's, I've practiced him a couple of times. He said he, he can seriously play. Um, you know, so he was, he was on to him already. And Josh... Yeah. To move into into who you've hit with French Open that year, you had your chance to hit with with Rafa. So tell us the difference. Liam's given us the Roger story. What's the what's the warm up like with Rafa? Um, intense. <clears throat> I mean, firstly, like, boy, I was nervous. Like, I don't I don't know why. Like, but I've never I've never been been like before. I really like person. I asked to hit with hit with any of these stars. The slam said that was my first one. I, you know, I was nervous, you know, he's going on to play a match. I'm thinking, like, boy, like, what if I'm not striking well, da, 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 this and that. Um, so I was definitely, I was crazy nervous going on, but ended up going on. Um, so, so I walk on court, uh, and then I think uh, Rafa was warming up these times in, like, the gym. So I'm kind of, like, stood at, stood at the baseline of the court on, like, one side. And Rafa comes on, he just got, like, I think he had like two, three rackets in his hand. He already had, he already had everything on, so wristband, shoes, everything on. He just had his drink in one hand, rackets in the other. He kind of like walks like as he drinks, you know, when he's playing a match, kind of like a like a power walk, like he was marching to the to the to the bench in the middle. So he dropped his stuff down and then like immediately like walked to like the side of the court, like I was already stood on the baseline, like just walked there, like didn't say anything, didn't say like. Hey, I know nothing like that, but just like walk straight up that way. So I was like, oh, all right, so I'll go to the other side then. So then go up the other side, have this hit. I'm hitting a ball, like unbelievable. Like, I'm trying, I've, I thought to myself, I said, I've got to make this hit good. Like, I've got to make it good. And I said, on, on Clay, if he starts like getting, his, getting the balls too high, I said, it's not going to be going well. So I just thought, take it early, just try and clean it as best you can. And I started hitting the ball, an absolute joke. Like, I'm feeling it well, like I'm striking it good. Um, so if we do this whole practice, finish the practice, and it basically goes the same, it's very regimented and very um, intentful. You know, he's hitting, he's every shot he's hitting, he's hitting them with a purpose. Like there's not one ball um, that doesn't have a purpose in his mind. You know, like if I hit it a little bit, maybe further out, like some of them he's hitting. Some of, them he's, some of them he might leave, but even the ones he left, like it looked like he was leaving it all with intent. So then he finished the practice, practice finished. Um, after it was, it was, it was, it was real, it was real nice. You know, we said go and get a picture. It was like, yeah, yeah, that's cool. Um, but aside from that, it wasn't really too too much um, conversation from my part anyway. And then he he, he walked off court, um, had his match a couple hours later, beat. Joan Monaco, like six two, six love, six love or something. So it's like kind of like I basically beat Joan Monaco, um, and yeah. But like even after after that, I seen him in the cafeteria a bit later. Um, you know, we're eating, and as he walked by, kind of just you know, I nodded, said how you doing. So um, 
I got nothing but love for the guy. He was, he was definitely an experience which was great to be involved in to see, you know, how how someone as great as Rafa kind of gets to where he is. And that's kind of, you know, shown by, you know, how hard he works and, you know, his focus during even something as small as just a warm-up for the match, his focus during that, like, every, sing every single ball and every rally, like, there was an intent on it, there was a purpose to it. And, you know, even probably that warm-up, he probably, he might, I don't know, he might have improved something. And, you know, that over a period of time, kind of as Bro said earlier, you know, doing that kind of every day, um, that's good. That's I think that's one of the reasons why he is where he is. For any Spanish listeners, that's Juan Monaco, not John M Monaco, but that's I said, I said Juan. <laughs> yeah, Juan Monaco. Juan. Juan. Um, <laughs> but yeah, no, good memory, Matt. He did, and 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 I was I was on court with both of you guys. It was chalk and cheese. Like the the two. I mean, obviously Djokovic. It's hard to say the two greatest male players with Djokovic coming up as he is but but Roger and Rafa it was complete chalk and cheese the intensity those of you that know Josh Ward Hibbert as a tennis player he hit the ball well but Josh wasn't always a great one for for repeating with quality from the baseline however <laughs> I mean, in four, in 45 minutes Josh Ward Hibbert I reckon missed two balls on Rafa and 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 also he was increasing the tempo on him to the point that Rafa was actually getting a bit a bit pissed off at times with you I think as well, and, yeah. and that was, I tried to use that the next couple of years with Josh as to bring that level of intensity and that level of intention and focus massively brought your level up so that's brilliant guys but we're still we're in the semi-finals now who did you play in the semis come on boys you've got to remember who you played in the Nick, semis play Nick Kyrgios and and. and Andrew, what's his name? I know it. Don't Andrew tell me. Andrew Harris. I just said, don't tell me. <laughs> Andrew Harris and Nick Kyrgios. Talk to me about that match. One thing I remember was we were clutch in that third set tiebreak. Do you remember anything about the second set? I remember telling you I was going to hit an ace and I hit one. It, jo Josh asked me. Josh asked me where I was serving, and I said, "I said, don't worry about it." He said, "Where shall I go?" I said, "It's going to be an ace." And what was the score? What was the score? Then? I can't even remember. <laughs> it was T, T, T on the ad. Do you do you remember Do you remember what I said to you guys after that match? I can't know. I'm pleased I had an impact. I I I remember I remember putting a rocket up your backsides after that match. Oh, I remember that still. Yeah, I do remember that. Outside, like literally, as soon as we walked off court. Yeah, I I remember think because that match, it was you were two seventeen-year-olds, and I was like, boys, this is a Grand Slam semi-final, yeah. <clears throat> and, and and I don't I don't believe at that time. I think Josh was a bit sick of being called a double specialist because he was winning so many doubles tournaments. So I think yeah. he, he almost had like, a, uh, whatever, just doubles kind of way about him. And Broads, you were, you were still texting at the time. So you, so you didn't... <laughs> so your mind wasn't... And, and I remember thinking, oh my goodness. And in, in the first set, at three all, Broads, I think you were serving and 40 love up. And you actually served four double faults in a row. <laughs> and, then, and then in the second set, and Kyrgios had not missed a backhand return in the match. He's got a money backhand return. And at three all, you were serving again. 40 love up. You served three double faults. And then you missed your first serve to Kyrgios on sudden death juice. And that was the match. That point was the match. If, if, he'd, if he'd hit a winner or you would lost that point... For me, that was the match. It didn't feel like you were going to come back from there. And you hit a pretty good, a brave second serve, actually. And he missed a backhand return in the net. And the match just flipped. Yeah. It literally flipped on that shot. One thing, one thing I remember about that match was we had incredible energy in the third set tiebreak. We did. Incredible. It was odd job. But you know what? I'm not going to lie. I feel like me and bros, like, obviously, I think confidence comes, obviously, from coming out of situations like that. But... I think we had a good, we together had a couple situations being in, you know, first set tie breaks or something. And I don't know if we did it that game, but normally we we went to like had a toilet break at the end of 
um, <clears throat> at the end of the second set before the tiebreak, and we're kind of like, yeah, just take a minute, like what's right in the toilet, um, coming out, kind of just kind of like, just get like really, because obviously like, you know, doubles is short already, so the match tiebreak, like that's 10 points, like, especially, you know, you start playing like, you know, good level doubles, like, you, you start going through or fall of up, so it puts you in a real good stead for that. So it's funny because I never had a belief with someone or with myself like I did with Josh on the doubles court, Kino, which yeah. was a little bit, which was a little bit of a double-edged sword because yeah. a lot of the time we would lose a set, like you say, just being absolutely awful. Because I always knew in my head if this goes three sets, we've won it. Yeah, you know, yeah. and I knew. I knew no matter how slow we started or how bad our second set was, we'd win a set and we'd win the third set tiebreak. Yep. And that carried on into the pros as well. I remember me and Josh went on a run of winning quite a few pro tournaments. Um, we did well in Sharm El Sheikh and a couple of other places. And it was the same thing, which actually was probably a bad thing. I mean, <laughs> but, you know, it's, it's funny because I've never had that belief other than those times. Yeah, no, you boys were a serious pair. So then, you're now in the you're now in the final. Who did you play in the final? I know played Kovalik? Vega. You played Vega and Pav Pavlicek. Pavlicek. Pavlicek made top hundred as well. <laughs> yeah, That's who you played in the final. Score in the final. Two and three, three and two. Three and two. You boys were fire in that final. Yeah, unbelievable. I think that was the first one. Um, because I we're, like we were like we like bros touched on like saying, like, you know, we get ourselves on job for that kind of like third set. I think that was was that the first one we kind of had a like had a hit before, like literally just before we walked on court. And I think like all I remember is we had like we do like the volley game where it's just like stand on the service line, I'm sure everyone knows it's just volley to volley when it gets pretty intense. And I think we did that, and literally as soon as we walked on court, like, even. As soon as we hit the ball in the warm up, all I remember is being like, like so ready for this, like feeling so sharp. And <clears throat> as soon as that first serve started for like the start of the match, like I don't know, it just everything was just feeling good. And I was like, I'm, I'm about to be so like mentally aggressive in this match. And yeah, the rest was history. One thing, one thing, one thing I remember about that match as well. And this is no disrespect to the guy, but I felt like Vega was the odd one out on that court. Yeah. I felt like there were three three very good doubles players there and I just didn't feel like he was comfortable out there. Yeah. And at the time, at the time, because I guess we're looking back now, we're, we're eight, eight years on, which is incredible. And I yeah. think given, given that I'm a bit of an old fart and, and obviously at the time I was... I guess I'd been through my playing career, which which was nowhere near as high as what you've got to Broads. But as as a coach, I massively valued what a special moment a Grand Slam Junior Final was. Do, do you think you boys, and this this could be a positive that you didn't if you didn't, do you think you boys valued what a special thing a Grand Slam Final was at the time? For me, I'd say yes. A little bit, and at the same time, not at all. Um, I definitely, definitely valued it. As, I mean, as soon as we won, I think kind of like building up to us, kind of like for through the through the rounds. Obviously, I was like, you know, like I, I believe we can win this, but you know, we want to kind of like be all end or type thing. You know what I mean? Like it's just an, another match kind of thing. Yeah. Um, but especially, you know. Looking back, obviously, you know, that's you know, one, of, one of my bigger confidence, especially in tennis. So I've got so much love for, you know, that whole situation. Um, yeah. But, you know, uh, during it and, you know, in other, other double tournaments as well, I think yeah, I definitely took it for granted, the you know, kind of like the opportunities, um, just, to, just to be able to play like some of these double tournaments. And obviously, you know, like I said, like me and Bro's won a lot. Um, and I think... Did I get accustomed to winning? Uh, yeah, it's possible. But I think the actual whole, the whole thing, like to really be able to say, like you won a, like you won a Grand Slam, like, like massive. And I think I only probably really felt that probably when we came off the court uh, after yeah. the final, winning it, and kind of just being stood there with bros and stood there with you, and kind of just taking a minute, thinking, yeah, we really just won a Grand Slam. Like, yeah. I think that was a, probably the main moment where I really thought. 
like, wow, this is crazy. Like, I think going through all the other rounds and even playing the finals kind of like, you know what, this is, this is just another match. Like, it's another yeah. match, you just got to come out and do what you need to do. And what about you, Broads? Because you obviously made final of US Open. You have made final of US Open that year. You'd made final of Wimbledon. You'd been in a final of Wimbledon doing your doubles as well. So you, you've had, you had a lot of success in the juniors. Did... I suppose the question for you is not just about the Aussie Open, but all of the finals that you played. Yeah. Did you, did you understand the magnitude of those matches at the at the time? Do you think? Um, I mean, Wimbledon um, when I made the finals of the singles. Yes, that was that was that, different. I mean, that that was probably the first time because I didn't I didn't enjoy playing tennis when I was younger, right. <clears throat> and that Wimbledon final was probably the first time in my life. That I actually thought, shit, I, sorry. <laughs> that I actually thought, damn, I, I really want to win this match. Yeah, yeah. Um, and that was tough for me to get over for a long time because I was a set and a break up in that match. And that was probably one of the first matches in my life that I actually gave 100% and didn't win. I, I, I was almost spoiled as, as a junior and as a younger kid that I was a serial winner. Yeah. Um, and and I got punished for it. That was karma. I got punished for that in the in the finals of Wimbledon Juniors. Um, and then the following year, actually, I got to the finals of U.S. Open Juniors with as a completely different player, complete yeah. change of mindset, just yeah. grafting and fighting harder than any other player out there. And got to I think it was four all in, in the third set breaker again. Four all in the third set against uh, Pelua with break point. Yeah. Um, and I ended up getting pipped for it. Um, and I think he actually was the first guy to make finals of all four slams in like 23 years or something. Um, but I, I think it's the same in life as it is on the tennis court. I think the things we learn as kids and as when we're younger prepare us for adulthood. Yep. Players, the junior tour prepares us for the pro circuit. Um, and looking back on it now, those results are special to me. It does make me feel like I have a pedigree within the sport. Um, but I would say the value of, of the experience far outweighs the actual bragging right. Yes. And, and I can't, you, you've, you've touched on such a big point there, Broads. I, I have to ask you about it, that you didn't enjoy the sport as a junior or when you were yeah. young. Can you, yeah. can you expand on that? And when did you start or have you started to enjoy it? Um, I mean, I... I, 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 I never wanted to play tennis. I, I just wanted to be a normal kid. Um, I wanted to go to school. I wanted to go to school. I wanted to hang out with my mates. I wanted to mess around. Um, but, you know, that, that my, the choice was made for me that I was going to play tennis. And, and I often wouldn't try. Um, and, if, you know, and, and, when I, and that was the thing, was when I did try, I was, I was winning, which was obviously frustrating for our dad. Um, and basically, you know, the fallout happened in Australia with my dad and, and I had to learn to want to play tennis for myself instead of wanting to play, yeah. you know, for approval, um, which was a real big learning curve for me to, to learn, actually, this is, this is for me. This is what I want to do. Um, and it did just bring out a completely different side of me. Would I like to be um, as relaxed as I was when I was younger would I like to be as free hitting definitely but at the end of the day you know the more you want it the tougher that gets and I think the more you play in the pro, pro game and the higher levels you go everyone gets nervous man Yeah. Um, and I would say consistency becomes more and more valuable because there are no more free hits people aren't zoning out of matches for 20 minutes you know, a player might zone out for two points and they've lost a set. Now, that, that's what the margins are. Whereas in juniors, it's completely different. And do you think you want it more now or maybe even sometimes put more pressure on yourself now because you have a regret of not, not taking it as seriously or, or not wanting it as much when you were younger? I, I want it more than ever with each year that passes by. Yeah. Um, apart a part of me to prove people wrong that think that, you know, I can't do it or I won't do it or that it's too late for me. Um, and a part of me to justify the, the talent that I know that I have. Yep. Um, 
and also because and also because I enjoy competing more than anyone on the planet. I love competing, man. But that brings, I guess, a, a, you will never be a tennis player or a basketball player or any person in the world and not have to deal with deal with negative thoughts and feelings. That's just that's just life, you know. I'll mind yeah, work yeah. that way. But almost the more we want something, the stronger those emotions and feelings are. Yeah. Is that, and I guess, do you feel that as, as you're going along with it, that you're, you're wanting it more? Do you also believe that your mental toughness is getting stronger to be able to deal with the, I suppose, the strong, the strong emotions that come with that? Um, to be honest, the, the, feeling of desire for me isn't what cripples me it's the feeling of of not believing that i can do it yeah um the feeling of desire for me is when i have my greatest results because i become a tough mofo <laughs> um, you know that, that refuses to lose i'm very stubborn my feet move five percent quicker my racket head moves ten percent quicker yeah and um, for me the problem is when i'm flat um yep. And and when I'm actually, you know, in that zone of oh, you know, yeah, the, you know, when, when you get those those uh, limited beliefs of oh, everything's working against me, I can't do it. I'm just I'm just me. I'm nobody. Yeah. Um, yeah. That guy that guy works harder than me. Blah de blah. All that stuff. Yeah. You know, it's really interesting, and it? to be honest, bro, it's probably a podcast in itself because it is. It's a it's a fascinating thing. It's something, you know, we do a lot of work on at the Academy with a sports psychologist, Anthony Ross, who's actually going to be on the podcast in the next, in the next couple of days. And it's, and what you're describing there is this helplessness, you know, when we, when we get this helplessness and, and, and it's, you can't do anything about feeling that, but you can do something about what you commit to. And that's the process. That's yeah. all the things that obviously you're working it, through really good guys, you know? It, it's funny, you know, because I, I follow quite a few other sports and you sometimes I think you hear about it. Um, like I read an article saying that the reason why Luis Suarez is such a good player is because he plays with this fire. And, yeah. and he was saying sometimes it creeps over. So, you know, like when he had the biting incidents, when he's yeah. stamping on players and, you know, so sometimes the fire gets the... And it's the same as me on the court. If I have that fire burning... Yeah. I'm very hard to beat, and, yeah. and I would I would say against almost anyone on the planet. Yeah. The problem with me is when that fire's not there. That's when I'm flat. Yeah. I yeah. don't want you know, and, and you become a pushover. Yeah, but it's great that you're learning that. And Josh, just to bring you into this because there might be some basketball insight into this as well. The psychology that, and I know from conversations that I've had with you in the past, the psychology is a little bit different when you're in a team you know, having to deal with some of those things. Can you, can you talk through some of that? Um, yeah, do you mean, you mean like uh, over like maybe a season or, or a specific match? Yeah, so I suppose if what, what <clears throat> Lee is talking about there, if he's in a moment where maybe he feels a bit flat or he's lacking a bit of belief, if you're in a team, mm. what, what, what then happens compared to, I suppose, tennis being stuck on, on a court on your own? Yeah, so like, obviously like when you're playing... Um, so you're playing bas- basketball in a team sport, it's obviously each team's different, but you'll have five on the court um, per, per team. And uh, you might have like maybe six six on the bench, maybe. Um, so obviously, like if, you, if these times you're, <clears throat> you're on the court and maybe you're not feeling that spark and you're not maybe performing to, to what it was, obviously in a tennis situation, that's something that you just got to figure out and try and work through obviously to win the match um whereas obviously in basketball you know if you're not performing or in any team sport if you're not performing you're liable just to be um subbed off so i guess the the you know the difference in it is you know you you want to you want to perform and you want to find that um spark so you're able to play your able to play your best game um to 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 show people you know what you're capable of but over, you know, games. If you're not feeling too confident, if maybe you've had a bad game, or there isn't really, isn't really time to, you know, get down on yourself or anything like that. Because there's always maybe there's always somebody, and maybe even if it's not somebody on that team currently, there's someone somewhere else that's all, all ready to, you know, take your spot and 
yeah. so there's not really time because obviously in tennis it's you know it's, it's it's only you so yeah you're able to kind of you know kind of be within yourself and oh, I think oh I'm not playing well all of this um, but you know so I, th- I, I think team sports doesn't really give room doesn't really give room for that because like I said there's always someone always someone ready to come up and um, take what take what you have um, yeah. Very good. Boys, at the end of every match in Australia, and I think I'll have to pull out some of the, uh, some of the YouTube clips. I'm sure we've got them on YouTube somewhere. Uh, we, we did a little quick fire round at the end, and there was a young Liam Brodie and a long, young Josh Ward Hibbert who, who used to you know, get the answers out. We're going to finish today off with a, a little quick fire round. Uh, you've got to answer Liam or Josh. Yeah, you know, no, okay. sentences, no sentences, just Liam or Josh. Um, who's the most likely to carry the passports if you travel together? Liam. Josh. Wow, what? I'm not trusting you about my passport, never. You're crazy. <laughs> who, who, <laughs> who, who's the hardest worker? Liam. Josh. Josh is capable of work, but he's not consistent. Very consistent. That sounds but like had, more than one word, Liam. I had some, I had some spells, but <laughs> no, I'm consistent. Who's, who's the biggest rebel? Liam. I didn't hear what you were saying. Can you repeat that? Okay, we'll go with Liam. Wait, wait, wait. What did you say? I didn't hear it. It froze. Liam, Liam didn't answer. What, what? The biggest rebel? Yeah. Oh, no. I said Liam as well. Liam's the biggest rebel. Sorry. Yeah, uh, Liam. The, the biggest party animal. Yeah, jo- biggest party oh. animal, Josh. Liam. What? <laughs> what? Okay, we, we, so far we've not agreed with anything. Who's, <laughs> no, we did. We agreed on the rebel one. Okay, we yeah. agreed on the rebel. Okay. <laughs> Stay with me, boys. Stay with me. Who's, who's going to be the first to get married? Liam. Liam. Who's the biggest coach's pet? Josh. Josh mm. all day. I, I would say... <laughs> I can just go on what we got, and obviously, uh, me and uh, my coach, we just had a you know a great relationship uh, on the court and off the court. So you know, it's just kind of like um, traveling with a friend. So yeah, I'd probably say if if you meant, meant coach's pet by just having a great relationship, yeah, it, it could be me. Okay, I'm I'm gonna have to re I'm gonna have to restate the rules, guys. It's a one-word answer. <laughs> To one word, to one word. I'm sorry. Sorry, Josh is still trying to please you. Sorry. Tennis, tennis, or basketball. So what did I say, Liam or Josh? No, tennis or basketball. Tennis. Tennis. <laughs> sudden, sudden death points. Who takes them? Ward Hibbert. Liam, come on. We played doubles together for like four years. I took every sudden death point in that time. Yeah, set and a breakdown. First round of Australian Open. Who took it? Because we're Me. set and breakdown. No, you didn't. Don't lie. You're not lying to the people on the podcast. <laughs> I took it. Go on, Kieran. Next. Who would? Who serves first? Josh. Yeah, that makes sense. Me. Who's most likely to lose all of their money carelessly? Liam. Liam. <laughs> Wait, what do you mean most likely? Do you mean who has lost all of their money carelessly? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that as well. That as well. Uh, who's, most, who's most likely to be a coach in future? Liam. Liam. Guys, it's great to know that eight years on, you still disagree with pretty much everything, um, which is which is maybe also why you were an incredible partnership, as well as a highly infuriating partnership at times. Um, if nothing else, if nobody listens to this podcast, 
I don't mind because it's been a pleasure just catching up with you boys and, and going through what's a great memory for myself. So, so thanks a lot, boys, for your time. Josh, thank you for making it today. It was nice of you to... We only had to wait 24 hours, so much appreciated. Got to keep the, keep the people waiting, you know. It's, tease them a little that's, bit. That's not what the phrase is. <laughs> I think it's set like that, man. The phrase is, you've got to give the people what they want. Yeah, and we can't give them what they want on time or then they know exactly what's coming. You know? It's been a pleasure. Thank you very much. Cheers, Kino. Well, Thanks a lot, Kino. Good to talk about the memories and good luck and we'll be in touch. Thanks a lot, Thanks, guys. Thanks, Kino. Bye. Thank you for listening, guys. A, a great show for, for me to be a part of. Uh, lots of Lots of laughter but also lots of lots of fantastic insightful knowledge given from the boys there i i hope you enjoyed it please keep liking and sharing sharing the podcast sending your requests you know we're here to provide this service for for you guys listening your feedback is greatly appreciated and hope everyone's well take care